mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Bibles with me to John chapter 1. We're going to be beginning this morning in verse 43, but if you'll remember with me, last week we saw this transition going on where John the Baptist, giving his witness, says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and he introduces his disciples to Jesus. And then Jesus gives them an invitation to follow. And then there's this intimacy that happens once they begin to follow. So we're transitioning from John the Baptist to the ministry of Jesus. And really, if you think about it, in reality of the spiritual realm, that's the way it should always be anyway. There should be a witness that witnesses to you, a voice in the wilderness, and then that voice should turn you over, commend you to Jesus, because your salvation is finished once you meet Jesus and you follow his invitation, then you can enjoy an intimate love relationship with him. But what happens so often is we keep our eyes fixed on men and we don't follow Jesus. We keep following men, and we need to be following Jesus, not a cultural church. So we're seeing this transition go on so that you can be handed off to Jesus. Are you still following flesh? Are you still following man? Are you still following a movement? Or have you entered in because you're following Jesus to this love relationship where you can begin to be real and personal about what you witness to others about. Because if you notice, again, notice, everyone who comes to Jesus and follows him goes and finds somebody else. This is the pattern. This is the example. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. uh, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Okay, here I am. Now I found my brother. Now I found my sister. Now I found somebody else, and I'm introducing them to Jesus. That is the pattern of discipleship. That is the pattern of the kingdom, where Jesus is going to take 12 men, and then 11 of them are going to go to the whole world. So as we transition and we move to Jesus' ministry from the voice of one calling in the wilderness, we see uh, last week um, God giving Simon a new name. You shall be called Cephas, verse 42, which is translated a stone. He's a chip off the old block. 
He's becoming like. See, he wasn't there yet, but God spoke to him the way that he was going to be, his position in Christ. And he's going to do the same thing again. Some people might call it your burning bush moment where you meet Jesus. You know for sure that he spoke to you. He's changed your name. He spoke into your life. And now your character can begin to change. Positionally, you're already like him. Practically, you need to be moving in that way. The only way to get there is to be led by the Spirit as you follow close behind. No other way to get there. You can't fake it till you make it. You can't pretend. You have to be led by the Holy Spirit as you get into the Word, Prayer, and Fellowship, and you see the name, the character, the nature, the will of God, and you follow it by the power of God for the glory of God for such a time as this. So as we continue, in verse 43 we read, The following day Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to receive with meekness the implanted word for the continued saving of the soul. Pour out your spirit upon us, Lord. Shut down our physical faculties and help us uh, to hear what you would say to the church today. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 43, John 1, 43. The following day... Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, I believe this is the third day. If you'll remember, uh, verse 29, the next day, and I believe 35 is still the next day. He follows with the same line. These happened on the second day. And then I believe, and it doesn't matter what I believe, follow the word of God. The following day, I believe, is the third day. And it really says the following day in the King James, it says, would go forth. Jesus would go forth to Galilee. Why? Why does it not say third day? It is the third day. You'll see in chapter 2, why is Jesus going to Galilee for a wedding? Listen. And we don't say the third day because until the third day when he resurrects, the wedding is not ready to happen yet. So it just says the following day. But in chapter 2, he's going to be at the wedding. And listen, you and me, if we're following him, he's preparing us as a bride to go to this wedding. 
And this is what we're seeing as we see the witness of John, as we see the witness of, of, of uh, Andrew and Peter, and we see the witnesses in this grand courtroom on the third day because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are going to a wedding. And that's what we're going to see right now is him introducing the covenant. Yep, bear with me. We're going to see the covenant being handed off to the church. But we're going to a wedding. Do you understand that you're going to a wedding? Do you understand that you don't know what's at the wedding? Do you understand you don't know what's at the banqueting table? Do you understand that it's a spiritual realm? Do you understand that you are supposed to be washed and cleansed and using what God gives you now to prepare yourself to be that bride? The Holy Spirit is wanting to make you spotless and clean without wrinkle or any such thing. You're going to a wedding. And the only way we're going to get there is when Jesus finds us, we obey his commands, we follow him, and we build a relationship with him. And as you notice this, when he gets down here in a minute, there's going to be a lot of talk. There's going to be a conversation. There's going to be intimacy forming. It's not just an invitation to go to the wedding, but then there's intimacy. Just as John 10, 27 says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, Jesus says, and they follow me. Where are, we, where are we going? We're going to heaven. But what's going to happen? A banqueting table, a wedding reception. We're the bride. We're going to a wedding. And it just so happens when we get to two, you're going to see the first miracle recorded by Jesus, other than his sovereignty and him knowing all everything about these, is going to be at a wedding. Where's it going to culminate at? The wedding supper of the Lamb. This is all about a wedding. It's all about marriage and family, being welcomed back into the family of God. And we've got to get this. This is what we're seeing. This is what's being re revealed to us through the scriptures. And we are on our way to a wedding because on the third day, Jesus rose from the grave. And that was the evidence that the sins of the world were paid for. God, the Father, accepted it, the payment of his perfect life. And now when we believe in him and trust our spiritual well-being into him, we can positionally be the bride, but practically we're supposed to keep following. If our position has changed, then our practical walk needs to change because he's given us a new name and he's making us like him. And actually, it's pretty amazing when we will look at the names here in a little bit, I hope, if I get to it, the names of the cities and the places actually tell us this same um, testimony. So what does he do? On the third day or the following day, that's the day after the second day, uh, it, it's not he wanted to because he's God. The, 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 the King James said he would go forth to Galilee. He would go forth to Galilee. Galilee means the heathen circle. Or the heathen circuit. Now listen to me because the word, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was, or excuse me, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word come to earth and took flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then he went to the heathen circle. God come to earth to the heathen circle, those who didn't know they were lost, and he gave witness of who he was, and he came and died on a cross and rose the third day so that you and I can follow him to a wedding. 
You and I can be married. The kinsman redeemer came and got us. He came down to the heathen circle. That's what Galilee means. I always laugh when I see what some of these words mean because you would think they would mean something totally different. When I was growing up and I didn't know Jesus and the song on the radio, putting your hand in the hand of the man from Galilee, you think that that's a, an amazing thing, but it's really a man from the heathen circle. But he was the God-man who came down and died for us. That's the grace of God. That's the amazing testimony of the witness of God to this planet is that we can be saved and be married back into the kingdom of God to our kinsman redeemer and then one day enter into heaven for eternity to be with God forever. And since he would go forth to the heathen circle what happened when he got there he found or come upon he findeth the king james he come upon philip and said to him follow me see that's what he would say to all of us i always it's amazing i was telling uh, addison this morning my name is not philip because it means fond of horses the horses wouldn't go out in the field this morning i'm like my name's not philip Fond of horses or lover of horses. Uh, and, and so it, it's interesting that when he comes back, we'll be riding horses. And, and he'll come with myriads of the saints. And we don't have to fight. It's not our battle. The battle is the Lord's. We're going to see the battle of Armageddon. The blood's going to be up to the bridle of horses. Listen. It's going to be an amazing thing. So he's speaking of the finality of it all. He's on the way. He found some. And then he's speaking of the judgment with Philip. That's just my opinion. You don't have to do that. But he says, follow me. Follow me. It means to be in the same way with, on the same road. It means to accompany as a disciple, a learner of God, learning to be like God. He's positionally called you to be Christ-like. He's given us his position, and now he practically wants you to follow so you can be like him. Are you following? If you want to go to the wedding, you have to do it God's way. You have to listen to his voice, and his voice says if you're fond of horses, you want to see the other side of this, you want to see the wedding, you want to get to the wedding, you have to follow me. And I send my spirit back to lead you. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. You cannot get out of this world without following Jesus. You can't just say a prayer and then say, I'm done. You still have to be led out of this world that's going to be on fire, burn up, renewed, consumed, because he's going to make all things new. Either you're being made new or you're going to be judged and cast into hell and stay in the fire. There's only two places to be. And the ones that are being made new are in the same way with Jesus, following the example. Notice what happens with Philip. Jesus found, he came up on, could be a, could be a reference to the Spirit baptizing us in. He come up on, that's what the word find means. And then notice what he does exactly, Philip. Listen, he says, follow me. What does he do? He follows perfectly his example. Notice what he does. Philip was from, we get this little commentary, Bethsaida, which means a fishing house, house of fish. 
He was a fisherman just like who? The other two that he says from the city, the, the, the polis is the Greek, like metropolis. It's a polis is the city of Andrew, which means manly. Let me, let me just sidebar for a minute. Manly, since we're talking about marriage, we're talking about family, we're talking about Andrew who is manly, and, he, and, he, and in rock we're going to see Peter. They're all three from the same city, Philip, Andrew, which means manly, and then the stone, the rock, Cephas. Let me just, let me just stop for a moment and let you notice the attack on headship of family, headship of marriage. What is it? It's an attack on Andrew. It's an attack on manliness. Have you noticed it? It started first with bringing women into the masculine place instead of being in the feminine, bringing them out to be leaders and, and give them some masculinity. And then they began to steal the masculinity from men. And they're, they're, what is it called? It's called death culture. We talk about this all the time because God spoke into existence, man. He breathed in his lungs and then he brought woman out of the sight of man and then and in that act, he created the first marriage. And then he told them to be fruitful and multiply, which is the first family, which really marriage and family is the first institution ever on the planet. It's the institution that the devil wants to destroy because it's a picture of people who obey God. It's a picture of God and the church, Christ and the church. It's a picture of that wedding that's going to happen at the finish line. And those who are not fond of horses will disobey. And they'll be stubborn and he'll put a, a bridle on them and he'll yank them around and use them still for his glory. Even if they don't listen. Even if they don't follow. You don't have to be mule-necked. You don't have to resist God and harden your heart. You can surrender today. But there's this, there's this, oh my goodness. And, and if you don't see it, then you need to say, God, why can't I see these things? Because I turn on a TV and I see men dressed in yellow pants with little butterflies on them. That's the new style for men. Where are the men at? That's what girls wear. I see men in skinny jeans. That's what girls wear. And that's getting absolutely insane. I don't know how they're getting them on anymore. They put them on wet and walk around with a blow dryer drying them. It's absolutely insane. And that's in the church. Let's go to the world and look at what they're doing. With their five and six-year-old girls and letting them dress like Britney Spears. Letting them dress like Beyonce. That's the stuff that they should be putting them in jail for if you want to talk about how we're being disrespectful to kids. We should be calling up, you're letting them dress like tramps? I'm sorry, I'm just speaking truth here. We are out of control. And the church is adopting and following everything that the world is doing. But the worst thing about it is the attack on patriarchy that God set up in the culture for men to be strong, to act like men. We're warriors. And men are running around with little girly pants on. I'm sorry, I'm serious. It's all over the church. It's, it's the new custom in the world that make men have no testosterone, to be led around by their noses, to make fun of them when God called them out to be leaders and to be rocks. God called them to be the cornerstone, to be the men who lead the church into battle. 
Well, how do you do the battle? You stand and act like men. And it's just sad to me. I'm sorry. Maybe I'm a little over the top to you, but it's ridiculous when I see men walking down the road with skinny yellow pants on. And I, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, digress here. Let's get back to it. Andrew means manly. Um, Peter means rock. And we're supposed to be following. So what does Philip do? He went and did exactly what Jesus did. He found somebody. He found Nathaniel and said to him, listen, listen, again, he doesn't take the credit. He says, we have found him whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Listen to me. He doesn't say, I found him. I got a new way. I got a new path. He says, we found him. Because see, all of the nation is looking. Everybody's looking. See, and that's what the church is supposed to be doing right now, is looking for the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. We're looking heavenward. The church is supposed to be looking. The nation of Israel, those that were looking for God, found him. Those that were stuck in their own esteem, honoring themselves, honoring one another, building their religious system, playing games, pretending, those that were living like that, they didn't find him. They didn't find him. They weren't looking. They were fine with feeding their face. They were fine with feeding their ego. They were fine with following the spirit of this world. They were fine with being the most important thing in their life. Self. They were fine with the way the world was doing it because their appetites were being fed. But he said, we have found Notice what he says when he says we have found him of whom Moses, one drawed out, and the law, and also the prophets wrote. See, these guys know the Bible. Look at me. They know the Bible. He didn't go, we found the Messiah. He actually, in his words, tell not just this guy that's pretending, but this is the one that Moses wrote about. This is the one that the prophets wrote about. This is the one that the whole nations are looking for, because at that time, everybody was looking for the Messiah. They knew it was time. They knew it was the fullness of time. They knew he was coming, and when he came, what did they do? They rejected him. We already seen that in 1, 11, and 12. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But to as many as received him, he gave the privilege to become children of God. See, when you receive Jesus, it's not just saying a prayer. You receive a new home, a new hope, a new, a, a new house. You receive a whole new government, and you begin to bow down and understand that you received it by grace. And there's no way you could have even known you were lost unless he came and called you, unless he came upon you and said, follow me. There's no way because you were not looking. You were not concerned. You didn't even have a care in the world. You were over there doing your thing. And God called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And he said, follow me. And if you've heard his voice, you cannot help but obey. If you've heard the voice of the one who loves us so much, he would come down and become a man and die for us. You have to obey. 
that still small voice compels you to follow. He's not driving you like the world is. He's not pushing you. He's not expecting anything. In fact, everything that's going to happen, look, he comes to the back of the line. He picks fishermen. That's what Bethsaida is, a fish house. That's where Andrew and Philip and all of these guys are from. And he picks from the back of the line that's been sent home from school and says, you're not smart enough. You know why? Because they don't need to be smart enough. He's going to supernaturally give them gifts. He's going to supernaturally do it all for them. He's supernaturally giving you everything, and all you have to do is receive it and then unwrap it and walk in it, and enjoy it, and obey it, and follow, and do the same thing in it that he has left the example of, and his spirit is here to do it for us. You do not have to have an education. Can you have an education? If you forsake it. If you do not forsake it, then you'll be led by the nose, by the world, the false science, the death culture, and you'll be twisted and trapped and you won't know which voice is real. You have to release. You have to understand that denial of self is how you receive Christ. It's absolutely absolutely a, uh, 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 an insulting of your own intelligence to begin to walk by faith and follow this spiritual God whom you can't see and to trust him. But the Spirit gives you that power to insult your own intelligence. And I'm not talking about throw your baby, throw your brain out like a baby with the bathwater. God loves you. He fearfully and wonderfully made you. He created you for a purpose. But don't listen to the lies of the world that say you have to have a PhD or you have to have this. You had to go to Hebrew High. The only one of all 12 that he picked that went to Hebrew High was Judas, and Judas betrayed him. None of the 11, other 11 went to Hebrew high. That should give us a clue. So the first thing that Philip does, since he's following the teacher, since he's obeying the one that he's been looking for and he knows it's him, is he went out and found somebody else. He went and found who? Nathaniel. Guess what Nathaniel means? Gift of God. Isn't that pretty amazing? Nathaniel means gift of God. So, so the first thing you do when you become a believer is you need to find out what your gift from God is that you're supposed to walk in while you're following. It's a gift from God. All you have to do is say, what is my gift, Lord? And then he empowers you to walk in it. And to follow him and to use it for his glory to be a witness and give testimony to others about what's going on. And then he gets all the glory for it. But if you keep doing all the same things you've always done, then it just looks like, oh, you said a prayer. You started going to church and you've lost your mind because you're still doing all the things you used to do. So you don't, you don't look like you've been saved. But if you start doing something that could only be supernatural and attributed to God because the world didn't give it to you, and the world can't take it. You start walking in that gift. You start walking in, separating yourself. We're going to get to it. We're going to get to it. Separating. You're in the world, but not of the world. You've been called out. That's what holy means. Listen, we talked about it Friday night. Somebody says to you, what, what does holy mean? 
Oh, it's like floating on a cloud and pure and perfect. No, holy is hagios. It means separated. So now because God is holy and he was separated as a son and died for us, he separated, he obeyed the will of God. Now that's what we do in pattern. We separate ourselves from all the love of this stuff, all the chasing of this stuff, all the doing of this stuff. And we realize that we're on mission with God to be a witness for him. And we separate ourselves. But we're still here in the world. We're just not of the world. We're still flesh, but we know that it's a spiritual kingdom. So we're separating truth and lie. We're separating as we follow and listen to his voice. We're becoming separated. Positionally, we already are perfectly. Practically, we're separating ourselves and learning to walk it out, to be that which he's already called us. Think about Philip, we t- or excuse me, Peter. We talked about it last week. When he called him Cephas, when he called him Rock, when he called him Little Stone, people around them probably giggled. Haven't you been with him? And then Jesus is walking with him, and all Peter keeps doing is sticking his foot in his mouth. The greatest example of that is John 13, when he says, you ain't washing my feet, Jesus. Put his foot right in his mouth. That I already washed him in my mouth. Don't need my feet washed. I did it myself in my religion. It's funny, but we're all like that. We try to wash our own feet in our own mouth. But it's his heart that God was worried about. It's his heart and his character and his nature that God was wanting to change. Not his feet. But if your heart, your character, and your nature changes, then you'll be separated and you'll follow Jesus instead of following the world. We have found There's a body of Christ. There's people together growing, witnessing. We have found uh, the Moses and the law and the prophets wrote about him. It's written down. Remember, we memorize this stuff. So he points to the scripture for conclusive proof. If you have a Bible that has notes in it, I've got about 30 scriptures listed that gives you just a few of the 300 and some that prove that he was the Messiah, the Christ, the Mashiach of God. And then he gives his name, Jesus, Yeshua, the Lord is salvation, Jehovah is salvation, of Nazareth. Which means guarded one. And who is he? He's the son of Joseph. He will add. If you actually look at that, I mean, it's pretty insane to look at it. But these fishermen that are that that are manly, uh, uh, they, they receive the gift of God uh, because of Jesus, Jehovah's salvation. They're the guarded ones. He will add the covenant to them. He's going to add them to Abraham's lineage. Watch what happens. That's what happens with you and me, anyway. He adds us. When we've seen it in Luke, it will add their sin to his account and give us his righteousness. He will add their rebellion is what Mary means. To who? To Jesus. Notice we get another mention of Joseph, though, the flesh. That's his fleshly dad at the time. So we know that he's still alive at this time. Or, excuse me, at the time that Jesus was walking Um, just a few days afterwards, we see that they're still referring to him as the son of Joseph. 
uh, but they know that he's the son of God. Forty six. And the gift of God said to him, I mean, excuse me, Nathaniel said to him, this is this is his sarcastic response. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was historically, there's nothing there except for Roman soldiers who probably partied all the time, drunk all the time, fight all the time. It was a, there was a, uh, a fort there of, of a type for the Roman soldiers in, in Galilee is what we're told. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, the Bible says that when he comes back from Egypt, he'll come into Galilee and he'll, take, and he'll live in Nazareth. Therefore, it is written, he shall be called a Nazarene. See, these are things that people should know if you know the Scriptures. Although it's not written in the Scriptures, it was passed on through verbal communication. But when you know the Scriptures, you know that he's going to be called out of uh, Galilee, out of Ifrata, which is a district. And you begin to learn these things. And we don't know them in America because we have no idea of a lot of this cultural stuff. But when we study, when we search the Scriptures, when we come to follow and to look and to make sure we're not following uh, lies and culturanity and dece deceiving teachers, we're going to learn something. But you see, the problem is I think that we look at our own physical abilities and we go, well, I can't do that. Well, you never were going to do it anyway. You were saved by faith. You follow by faith. You, 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 everything that you do, God's going to teach you when you come, when you follow. But notice what happens here. Philip doesn't stand there and argue with him because the Lord's bomb person is not quarrelsome. What does he say? He gives him an invitation. He's following what Jesus did. When Jesus invited them to come to his house, he just said, come and see. He's just following. This is what disciples do. They do what their teacher did. In this culture, everybody wanted a teacher. Everything was about the spiritual realm. Everything was about following God. The whole kingdom, they knew that because Abraham had. They didn't even want to lose their lineage because they knew that all the way back that Abraham had been called out of a pagan nation, that Abraham had been given the, uh, the, the sevenfold promise of Genesis 12 and have been given a covenant, and have been passed down to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's been given to the whole nation, and they're waiting for the Messiah to come. They're looking. They actually would pass everything on verbally and in written documents, but verbally by rabbis. So everybody wanted to have the next rabbi teaching them, and these guys have been sent home. You're not going to be able to pass this stuff on. You're not going to be able to be a witness and continue to do what we have been doing. And the, and the tribe of Judah, the Messiah, comes out of it, and they're looking down their nose at everybody else instead of witnessing to them because they thought they could do it themselves or was left to do it themselves, and they weren't trusting in God to do what he had called them to do. Listen, he's faithful. He will also do it. He called you. He will also do it. I think that's 2 Thessalonians 5.24, maybe. I should know for sure, but I was just preaching a little bit. So can anything good come out of Attica, out of Williamsport? 
Can anything good come out of Indiana? Listen, just come and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. If you come to him and you look for your gift of God and begin to walk in it, I guarantee you that good things will come out of it. I guarantee you that God will do all that he said he was going to do. I guarantee you that he will add to your life. I guarantee you he will make you just like him. I guarantee you because that's what he's doing. But it's up to us to surrender to it and stop chasing everything else, following every other voice, and to hear his voice. And I'm talking about singularly, in an intimate relationship, because you've been introduced, you've been invited, and now you want to have intimacy with this God who would speak to your life and call you out of darkness. None of the other stuff matters. Get alone with him. Can anything good come out of Greg? Can anything good come out of you? Only if we allow the Holy Spirit to lead our lives. Where is he leading us? He's leading us to the banqueting table, to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Why is that? Because on day three, he rose again. So he doesn't argue with him. He just says, come and see. And if you're hungry, you'll come and see. If you're really looking for the Messiah, you'll come and see. If you're really desiring to know God, you will come and see. You will investigate. You will search out. You will find out what you should be doing. If you're really concerned about your heavenly home and your inheritance, you'll stop following the culture. You'll stop following teachers. And you will build an intimate love relationship with God by getting into the word, prayer, and fellowship. By crying out to him. And I believe prayer comes first. It's a place of dependency. See, because all of these people in this culture, they did not have the written word in their hands. We do now. So I believe that they got alone before God. They would have it read to them. They memorized it. But they had to stop and really meditate on what they had memorized. They had to stop because if you've got it up here, you're not looking at it like this. And you have to stop and think about it and say, Lord, what's going on? And then he brings it to your remembrance. And now you can see scripture that you've memorized. They've memorized, I think by the age of 12, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the law of God. Now think about that long and hard when we're trying to memorize one scripture or two scriptures on Friday night. And they, by the time they were 12, they would memorize it because they passed down everything about God verbally. And you and I are supposed to be verbally witnessing, verbally why? Because God spoke, and that's the pattern we're following. God spoke and created. You speak and you give an introduction, an invitation. You speak, you give a witness and testimony. Yes, it's supposed to be followed up because of your inside changing, but it's still the spoken word of God that we hear. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Come and see. Have you accepted that or did you just believe culturanity and came down and said a prayer and confessed your sins and thought you was okay have you went anywhere come and see is what the bidding is come and see is what jesus said in the introduction and he gave him an invitation to come and see his house come and see and it, it literally means come means to come or to go because it means to obey 
It means to follow. And if you've been called to come and see, then you're going to go and tell others verbally the witness of what God is doing. Later they called them, they said, uh, the sect of Nazarenes. That was one of the names they had. Possibly before they were called Christians in Antioch. They were called this sect of Nazarenes because they were following a Nazarite. And they were so much like him that they called them all Nazarenes, even though they were from different areas. Because that's what God wants to do. He wants to make us like him. You don't have to make up a script. You don't have to make up any programs. All you have to do is witness of him. And the script is right here, 66 books by 40 authors that always do the same thing, say the same thing, give the same testimony of what God is doing to save people, but we have to follow. Think about it. If Abraham wouldn't have followed, he's the first patriarch. Would his name have been changed? See, Peter is going to follow. His name is changed. Abram was Abram at first. He just meant father. And God said, when he had no children, God came to him in the heat of the sun in the desert and said, you're going to be called Abraham now. Can you imagine that? I ain't got no kids. You called me father. Now you want to call me father of many nations? I don't have one child. Think about it. If Abraham had to fulfill that. All right, I'll do her. That's what he tried to do. Remember, he slept with his concubine. He listened to his wife. He abdicated what God said and listened to another voice, his wife. I'm not picking on Sarah. But she said, listen, God's not done this. I'm 80 years old. I'm never going to have a baby with you. Sleep with Hagar. And he's like, well, it's bad work, but somebody's got to do it. I'm just telling you, that's, just, that's the insanity of the flesh. And God never even recognized Ishmael. And you see, the enemies of the church, the enemies of God, are the, the, the descendants of Ishmael, the descendants of the flesh, because nothing good dwells in the flesh. But those descendants can believe in Jesus and get saved. It's the Arab nations now. It's the Muslims. They can all believe in Jesus and get saved, or they can continue to live following a false moon god. It's just simple. And you and I can't do nothing in the flesh. The same way we just giggled and laughed about what I said, God giggles and laughs about what we do in the flesh when we try to do stuff for Him. Come and see. Now notice verse 47, because this is getting ready to get real. Why? Because He accepted the invitation from the witness to come and see. When you accept the invitation from the witness to come and see, things get real. Because if you look, God is not hiding himself. He's ready to reveal himself. And as soon as he comes and sees, look what it says. Jesus, the Lord's salvation, saw the gift of God coming toward him. When you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. He wasn't going toward the world. He wasn't going toward the religious authority. He was coming to see he was investigating. He was coming toward Jesus. And what happened then, Greg? Jesus said to him, Behold, lo, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. King James, no guile. 
Hebraism, no Jacob. Oh, yeah, that's what it means. An Israelite indeed in which there is no Jacob. Remember the patriarch, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob means supplanter, deceiver. Jacob means liar. One who has a craft and is planning his own thing, making up his own religion, coming up with his own way to steal a birthright when God has freely given birthrights. God will freely give salvation, but you could come up with your own way like culturality has, like the devil's always trying to get you to do, or you can stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Or you can keep coming up with your own little crafty ways to look like you're following God. Or you can surrender to the finished work because Jesus already knows. Think about it. He sees him coming toward him. Come and see. He's coming toward Jesus, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. And he tells him what his character is. He speaks to him as if he knows him. See, because God does know you. He knows me. He knows you. He can speak into your life better than anybody can, but you have to get alone with him. You have to follow him. You have to be seeking him for real instead of just seeking to feel good about yourself. An Israelite in which is no guile. Notice he's coming to him, not to a church. Notice he's coming toward God. He's not trying to come to a movement. He's not trying to be famous. He's not trying to honor himself. He's not trying to honor other men. He is genuinely coming to see if this is the Messiah that the whole nations are looking for. Everybody in Israel is looking for this, to rescue them from Roman rule, to rescue them from a world that's gone crazy, falling apart. Hang on to that. We're going to talk about it in a minute. No guile means no subtlety, no craft, no wiles. Now, I'm going to throw this out there. You can throw it out. There's two things that could be going on here. Of course, Nathaniel says to him, Whence thou knowest me? When did you meet me? How do you know me? So we see in the character and the thought that Nathaniel is saying, Oh, I agree with that. There's no guile in me. There's no deceit in me. I'm real. I'm genuine. I'm coming to see. I'm wanting to find you. Because if you seek, you'll find. If you knock, he'll open. Listen, so there's a couple things going on here. One, Jesus could be doing the same exact thing that he did with Peter. He's coming to him, but he's speaking about his character later. After he's been justified and he's perfect and there's no guile, there's no Jacob, there's no flesh in him the future of him. Or it could be that this young man is really praying. He's really seeking. He's much like Zachariah and Elizabeth who, who are uh, perfect because they're keeping the law. 
And that's what was required to do before that. They, you know, they were, they were priests who were keeping the law. And God had nothing against them because they were coming and making their sacrifices. They were doing everything that they could to be right with God under the law. But now there needs to be a new covenant because the law was only to lead you to the place of understanding your character that you can't keep the law that we're not obedient, we're not faithful. We can only be faithful when God calls us and gives us His Spirit and we surrender to His work in us. And, and again, I'm, I'm throwing both of those out there because I personally almost believe that He had deceit and guile and craft in Him because we're all born with a sin nature. But He could have been keeping everything perfectly he could have been following the law. I just want to put both of them out there because both of them work, both of them will preach. But if you look at what he did with Peter, he said, you are Simon, you shall now be Cephas, you shall be a stone. So he seen where he was at and he spoke about where he was going to be. And so he could have been doing the same thing with Nathaniel, the gift of God, saying, this is where you're at, but this is where you're going to be. And it might have been really hard on Nathaniel if he thought that his heart really was perfect with no guile. So the traditional teaching is, is that uh, he was a devout. Uh, and that's why we're going to see the rest of the text is because he was already under a fig tree, praying, seeking, looking, searching for God, trying to be obedient to God. Most of the priests would study under fig trees in those days. They would spend time under a fig tree, uh, so um, let me read some more so that you understand where I'm at. Nathaniel said in 48, uh, he said, actually in King James, it says, Whence knowest thou me? Whence is, whence, uh, is a place. It's like, how did you meet me? When did you meet me? And then Gnosko, how do you know me? Remember, how do you have knowledge of me? And he's speaking to him sovereignly because he's God. And we're going to see here in a minute that Nathaniel perfectly understands that. He's like, ha, could anything good come out of Israel? Christ knew that he said that. Christ knew that he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then he talks to him about having no guile. And then he says, look, when he says, how do you know me? How do you know my character? How do you know who I am? Did we meet before? Whence thou knowest me? Jesus says to him in 48b, before Philip Phoneo called, Phoneoed you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And remember, that's that word, I do. That's that word, E-I-D-O, pronounced I do. It's the word that's used in a wedding ceremony when you say, I do. So he's saying, sovereignly, supernaturally, I knew that this moment was going to happen. Sovereignly, supernaturally, I seen you under the fig tree crying out to me, asking me, studying to find out, drawing near. You're trying to figure out because why? The whole nation's looking for the Messiah. And everybody that speaks up, they go, is that him? Could that be him? Could that possibly be him? And he knows this whole thing. So, so Nathaniel is seeing that sovereignly, the only way he had an experience, a burning bush, what we might call it, there's only one way that Jesus could be saying what he's saying to him, and that is if he is God in the flesh, if he's the Messiah, the Son of God, if he is the King of Israel. 
And listen to me. I'm li- listen, I want you to understand this because I believe that in salvation, you will hear the voice of God. You will come to God and you will know you've met with God and you will say, how do you know me? And he will speak things that you have no way of, unless you're God, you will not know that he's speaking to you. I experienced it in my life. I experienced meeting God, knowing God. I'm not saying I've seen him face to face. I'm not saying I heard an audible voice. But there was no mistaking about it that I met God and I got saved. It's not some experience where you go in front of a a charged up crowd after somebody preaches and then you go forward to say a prayer. You meet God because you're looking for God. You're looking to obey God. You're searching for God. You're already under a fig tree. And then he speaks to you and you're like, I know I met God. It's not an emotion. It's a knowing. It's a knowing because he speaks things that nobody else would have known about you. Have you met God? Not did you say a prayer and confess your sin to man. Have you met God? Did he tap you and say, Jesus is Lord, and you believed, you trusted, then your life will change. What you're following will change. You will keep coming and keep seeing and keep growing and keep hearing truth and enter into a covenant with God that's old. It's from all the way back from the ancient of days who had a plan and sent his son to die for us the self-existing one. When he talked to him about being under the fig tree, I saw you. Look what, look what his answer automatically is. Now, see, we don't know what was going on. We don't know what text he was looking at or rehearsing in his heart as he's crying out to God in prayer under a fig tree where he was studying and, and, and praying at. It's obvious that this is going on if you read the text. Something had to be because he instantly says, what? What does he say to him? Nathaniel answered and said to him, Rabbi, Master, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. See, that's all the other evidence. There was an introduction, an invitation, and he come to see, and God spoke to him, and he declared as a witness, you are the Son of God. You're the King of Israel. Because he told him things about himself that nobody else could have known. They were secrets of his heart when he was under the fig tree, drawing near to God, reaching out to God. Listen to me, this is very important. Because you need to understand what the voice of God is to articulate that and know when you're hearing from God, when you're hearing from the pastor, or when you're hearing from too much pizza. When you're just having an emotional experience, you follow your emotions and your feelings, you'll join the woke community and follow what they're saying. And you'll think it's okay to ignore God's word because this is 2022. But we want to hear the voice of God. We want him in an intimate way to know us and us to know him. Then we can bear fruit. Then we can follow him. And not follow movements, not follow men, but follow God because we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Because we're coming and investigating. This takes some work to surrender your life and say, I'm going to surrender to Jesus. 
but it's not a prayer where you keep chasing the culture and keep doing what you've always done and think you're okay. That's deception. That's false conversion. Sorry. I'm just preaching what I see the Bible teaching us as an example to follow. So he gave witness instantly. The gift of God witnesses as of itself. Nathaniel, the gift of God. You are the son of God, unique. You are the king of Israel, king of those governed by God. You know what? He ain't king unless you're governed by him. I'm not saying perfect, but where is the king king at? He's king in his own realm. He's, he's king in his own Bastille. He's king when you allow him to be king. Those governed by God, that's the government right there. If you're going to be governed, then he's your king. If you're not listening to his word or what he says, then, then he's not your king. If your heart is to do what you want still, he's not your king. But Nathaniel was looking. Nathaniel came to see. Nathaniel wasn't going to stand around arguing. He wanted to find new life. He wanted to be a new creation. He knew that he needed salvation. He knew that he was a sinner and God was drawing him near. And he was underneath the fig tree. And he instantly declared, immediately believed. So what, look what, notice this in the first place, that there's a conversation going on. Notice it's not one-sided. Notice that Jesus is talking, Nathaniel's talking. They're reasoning together. Notice that God is the one. Listen, because, you know, in, in Matthew 7, they say, Lord, Lord, open to us. We cast out demons in your name. And he says, be away from me, you who practice lawlessness and wickedness. I never knew you. Notice he already said, I knew you when you were under the fig tree. Before you were called. He already knew that he was appointed for salvation because he can't learn anything. Listen, God doesn't learn anything. He already knows everything. So by his foreknowledge, he knows what you and I have done our whole life. And so then we're going to see here in a minute on his ladder, he sends ministering angels to take care of us. He is that ladder. He is that gate. But notice what he says in verse 50 here, Jesus, about his believing. Not be away from me, I never knew you. He says, Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? That's that word pistio. That's that word to have faith in. That's that word to commit to. That's that word to entrust your spiritual well-being into Christ in this case. And so he is declaring that he believes. And then he declares, Christ declares, you will see greater things than these. Just me speaking about your heart where you was at under that fig tree when you were studying, you're going to see greater miracles than that. You're going to see more since you believe. And see, that's what happens. You grow. You keep going. You keep coming. You keep seeing. There's more that he keeps uncovering and revealing. It's not a one-time prayer and you stop. You keep growing in the nature. You're going to see greater things, bigger things. And he says, in fact, verse 51, and he said to him, to Nathaniel, most assuredly, this is to get your attention. It's like, listen, listen. I say to you, verily, verily, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. 
which I told you last week, I think that Jesus uses this about 80 times of himself, the son of man, because God became man so that you and I could become like Christ, Christ-like as servants. So he says, you're going to see greater things. So when you come to salvation, you see the heavens open. You get the full inheritance, joint heirs. Heaven is now open to us. Yet we live like we're still in hell. We live like we're not joint heirs with Christ. We live like we're powerless, weak, and anemic. It's because we don't keep searching the scriptures. We don't keep coming to him. We don't keep following him. We think that we're okay because we said a prayer and we're not. Now listen, let's talk about the fig tree real quick. I wanted to take you there, but I thought I'd just hold off. It's uh, 1 Kings uh, 4. Let's talk about what the fig tree means a little bit. Because this is what Jesus sovereignly seen him doing. Now you got to know this, that falsely... It's 425 of 1 Kings. Falsely, they were being taught that the Messiah was coming. Everybody look for the Messiah. Where's the Messiah? The Savior of the world is coming, and he's going to restore all things to the days of Solomon, when all roads lead to the throne of Jerusalem. See, they were falsely being taught that, that it was all going to be restored to this peace and prosperity where they would rule and reign. Listen to me, because you're being taught today that the, the world is going to recover You're being taught today that everything's going to be okay. You're being taught today in America that this is all just a blip on the radar screen. And they don't want you to know that it's one world government. It's the fourth kingdom, which is the last kingdom, that's going to happen. We can go there in a minute if you want, or you can read it later, Bible students. It's in Daniel chapter 7, specifically 13 and 14. 15 talks of the fourth kingdom. But we're talking about what's going on right now. In the day of apostasy, when Jesus came, they were teaching them that the Messiah was getting ready to come and set everything back up where it would be just like the days of Solomon. Look, and, and, and I, can't, I don't have time to do all of these, so we're just going to look. Uh, in, in a sense, this is Solomon. God's given him, you know, let, let's read it, 420. I'm sorry. 420, Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand of the sea. This is the promise of God during prosperity, is that there's sand of the sea in multitude, eating and drinking and rejoicing. So Solomon, see Solomon is a type of Christ. He's, he, he didn't ask for prestige. He didn't ask for people. He didn't ask for pomp. He didn't ask for money. He said, I need wisdom to rule these people. Your people, God. And so Solomon reigned over all kingdoms. See, this is a type of Christ. It's a type of the millennial kingdom. A picture of it. He has all authority. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples. It's a time of peace and prosperity. But we know that they're still in the world. So there's other things going on. From the river, from the waters to the land of the Philistines, as far as the border of Egypt, they brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. 
serving Solomon. Now Solomon's provision for one day was 30, I just wanted to read this, 30 cores of fine flour, 60 cores of meal, uh, 10 fatted oxen, 20 oxen for the pastures, 100 sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fatted owl. For he had dominion and power and glory and honor. Listen, it's a type. Over all the region on, the, on this side of the river from uh, uh, Tepesha, even to Gaza, namely over all the kings on, the si- uh, on this side of the river. It's a picture of the sovereignty of God. And he had peace on every side all around him. And Judah and Israel dwelt safely, each man under his vine and his fig tree. From Dan to Beersheba, that's from the top of the country to the bottom of the country, all the days of Solomon. Listen, this is just one place. You can find other places where you can go find and read about the fig tree. I'm just giving you one place. You can go to to Micah. Uh, Where's my note at? Well, I had it somewhere here. Lost it. Here it is. Micah 4, 1 through 5. You can go to Zechariah 3, 1 through 10. And you're going to see the fig tree things that are going on. And in fact, we know that the nation of Israel was called even a fig tree. We see Jesus cursed the fig tree and says, you'll never bear any fruit anymore. We see the prophecy of the, uh, uh, when the fig tree begins to blossom. That generation will not pass away until all things are fulfilled. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word, what I've said, will not pass away. But I want you to see that they were being told this lie about their recovery. Present time, where Nathaniel's at. Here he is under the fig tree, and they're being told that it's going to all prosper, just like with Solomon. Just like in the days of Solomon. But that's really not true. Even with our world today, it's not true. This country is going down. It's being judged. And we're going to see the fourth kingdom arise. The one world government, the fourth beast is coming. You know what? Let's just look at it. It's in Daniel 7. So he's under the fig tree. He's seeking God. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing. And God speaks to him clearly about it. He understands it. He wants to hear the word of God. He doesn't want to follow the culture. Oh, my goodness. Are we going to get this in? It's a vision by Daniel. Look at 13. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man. This is what he just told him in John chapter 1. He said, he said if, if, you, if you believe because I seen you and I, and I spoke about what you were doing sovereignly, most assuredly I say to you hereafter you're going to see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon who? The Son of Man. It's a messianic term ascribed to Daniel more than any place, but Jesus takes that term to his own name and uses it at least 80 times. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man. Remember, like that, remember that earlier? When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fire, and Nebuchadnezzar said, in the, there, I see, didn't we throw three in there? I see three in there, and there's one like the Son of Man in there too. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days. Look at verse 9. I, I watched till thrones were, I mean, we just jumped back up because I just want you to see who the Ancient of Days is. I watched till thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated. 
not like me. People call me ancient sometimes just because I'm old. This ancient of days is God sitting on the throne. And one like the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven, he came where? To the throne of God, to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. That was 13b, 14. Then to him was given dominion, all authority, glory, honor, power, dominion. See, we're supposed to be looking for the honor that comes from God only. Not honor from men, not writing books with titles and having people promote us in conferences. We're supposed to be looking to honor God only and the honor that he gives to us. He's the one that gives us Nathaniel, the gift of God. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. What kingdom? The kingdom of God. Which are who we are if we're children of God. That all people's nations languages should serve him. Notice the word serve. Worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. And I'm sorry, it's verse 23 that says, and I don't have time to teach this whole chapter. Uh, verse 23 says, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth. This is the feet of iron and clay. Rule with iron, but just as fragile because it's going to be destroyed like all the rest. Breaks in pieces easily. Listen to me. Our world is not recovering from where it's going. And we need to wake up if we're listening to the voice of God. And there's much of the church out there right now talking about a, a, a lying gospel. A lying gospel that are they're 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 protecting this this one world government. They're protecting this fourth kingdom that's coming. And they're and they're trying to lead their people astray. But that's because their people want to be led astray because they're not drawing near to God and reading the word of God and having intimacy with God. They're following men instead of God. When we're supposed to have a personal love relationship with God. And he says to him here, though, hereafter, John 1, 51, to Nathaniel. Hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Because it's all about the Son of Man and the kingdom that will never end. That's what we're going to be a part of when we cross the finish line. Because we're being prepared now as a bride to enter into that. And so let's go back and look, what, what, what is he talking about? See, I think that potentially, potentially, just talking, don't know, that Nathaniel was under the fig tree rehearsing Jacob. And he says to him, an Israelite with no Jacob in him. And then he speaks to him of when this rebellious Jacob stole the birthright. It's Genesis 28, if you will. He stole the birthright from Esau. I, he's trying to take it himself. His mom tells him to, how to do it. And, and, and we have this, this guile, we have this deceiver, this supplanter, this liar, this one who just makes their religion work inside them. It comes from even the mother. And they deceived dad, Isaac, 
who was the son of promise. But they're really not deceiving him because he knows. Okay? So listen to me. What happens? Esau is mad. He's going to kill him after he steals his birthright. If you're a Bible student, hang on. If you're not, you may need to go read this later. Listen. So what happens when Jacob is being sent away He's going to leave his home, just like Abraham did, leave his home, go out in faith, trust God. He's scared to death. Will his own skills make this work, or will he surrender to God and walk by faith? Listen to me, because you have to be dead to self, let go of self, deny self, take up your cross daily, and follow by faith. But what happens first? Esau, who's mad, He's jealous. He's frustrated. He marries some more of the world. He marries a couple more of Ishmael's daughters and just disturbs his mom and dad to death. That's, what they, that's why they were already mad. He was marrying the world. He wouldn't come out of the world and live like they said and honor his mom and dad. So mom thought she had to make up this plan, just like Hagar, or excuse me, just like Sarah made up a plan with Hagar. We see it passed on. The, the, the sin nature passed on. The plan and the religion passed on until we surrender and receive Jesus. And he takes away our craft. He takes away our beguiling. He takes away our plans. He wants to take away our religion. And he wants us just to surrender to his finished work on the cross. But Esau, he gets mad. He just keeps marrying the world. And then you see, well, I mean, if you read chapter 28, Isaac gives the covenant. He blesses uh, Jacob. Esau gets mad and says, I'm going to kill him. And then in verse 10, what happens? Now, Jacob went out of Beersheba. Now, notice this is going to be a covenant being handed off. What does Beersheba mean? Well of seven oaths. What are you talking about? Well of seven oaths, water of seven oaths. Well, in, if you read tw- Genesis 12, you'd see the sevenfold blessing that was given to Abraham in the first covenant. So now it's being handed off to Jacob. Well, wait a minute, Jacob stole it. Well, if they would have just been still, God had already done it anyway. But they had to try to do it themselves, just like Abraham and Sarah in the flesh tried to, and they made more problems with Ishmael. But God knew that. God was still perfecting them. And then at 100 years old and 90 respectively, they have Isaac. And now as Isaac's old and his eyes ain't working and he can't see clearly, mom perfects this plan to steal the covenant, to steal the inheritance. And now Jacob goes out, we see in 10, and he went right to this place, a well of seven, or well of sevenfold oath which refers back to the covenant in Genesis 12. And then he went toward Haran. Haran means dry. This is the place that Abraham originally went to, dry. Because it's dry when you walk away from the water. When you walk away from that oath that's been given by God. See, seven is the number of completion. It gets dry. Your bones can get brittle and dry when you step away from God's covenant and you start using your own strength and power to do things instead of surrendering to the oath you've made with him. Listen, I know this is deep. Hang on. I know this is long. Hang on. 
So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night. What certain place are you in? Because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones. You know, this word for stone here can be a headstone. It's translated headstone. You know, you did headstones. When people die, you put them at the head of their stone to mark their place. It just so happens he's using this for a pillow. A stone of that place and put it at his head. Listen to me. Head is power. When you take the rock and you make him your power, you're going to have rest on a soft pillow. No matter how hard things are, you're going to have rest. No matter how bad they get, you can trust that Jesus is there to complete the covenant that he started in you until the day of Christ Jesus. And he laid down in that place to sleep. He's going to rest. Then he dreamed. Now think about it. He's probably scared to death, isn't he? Young kid, never been away from home, never been away from his family. He's not even, listen, Esau was the woodsman. Jacob was the, the, Jacob was the uh, mommy's boy. Mommy's bossing him around. Jacob's cooking in the, in the kitchen. Remember he made soup, took the birthright, then he made this meal. It's okay. God can use everybody. He means deceiver and supplanter. So he's sleeping. Then he dreamed, and lo, remember, behold, an Israelite in which there is no Jacob. Lo, a ladder was set up on the earth. Now, it can be, it's a staircase. Some mock it by saying stairway to heaven. They mock it in song and point to hell as they sing it. I'm referring to Led Zeppelin, so. Behold, a staircase was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Now, see, this is in reference to what Nathaniel, the gift of God, is going on in his life. And I don't know, I, I, I can't but speculate what God knew that he was talking about, but maybe he was thinking of the covenant. Maybe he was thinking of these things and praying of these things while he was under his fig tree. And lo, behold, the Lord stood above it and said... Above what? Above the ladder. I am the Lord God of Abraham. Notice there's a voice. Notice that he's speaking. Notice he's telling him something. I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. See, he's passing on this sevenfold oath to him. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you. That's the promise we have, guys. I am with you. I'll not leave you nor forsake you. You can cast your care upon me. Even when you're in the wilderness, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go but you should go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Have you heard God's voice? Has he spoken to you? You can trust him. He's going nowhere. He keeps his 
contract with us, his covenant, his word, his promise. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Listen, the Lord is in this place. The Lord is here now speaking to you. Do you know it? Does he know you? Are you searching for him? Do you have a place where you meet under a fig tree to talk with him? Do you trust him? Do you believe in him? And he was afraid. And said, how, King James, dreadful. How dreadful. I know it says, how awesome is this place in our text. They're the same when you revere God, when you fear God. They're the same. But they could start out with dread. And then you realize he's on your side. He's for you. He's the one that will, if you surrender, will do it all for you and complete the work he started in, then it could be awesome. It's dreadful when you don't know him personally. This is none other than the house of God. Isn't that what we've been? Where do you stay in at? Come and see. This is the house of God. That's what Bethel means, house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Who's the gate? John 10, 7. Who's the gate? The door, Jesus. He's the way out of this world and the way into heaven. And now we're seeing the angels descending and ascending on the ladder. We're seeing them go back and forth, ministering to Jesus, ministering to us. Hebrews 1.15, are they not all ministering angels or ministering spirits sent for those who will one day inherit eternal life? But now because of Jesus, they can come and go. They can come and go, and we can freely know that we have all the power of heaven with us to walk this out, to be witnesses, to give testimony because of Jesus. Then Jacob arose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head as his power and set it up as a pillar, an altar, and poured oil on it. See, that's who Jesus is. He's the rock that's been anointed to be our salvation. He's our rest. He's the place we put our head and we leave, and he's our power. He's the one that gives us the spirit, the oil that you see here. And he called the name of the place Bethel, house of God. But the name of the city was what? Luz, previously. Guess what that means? Previously, they were separated. That's what Luz means, separated from God. But now that they've anointed him in the right place as their rest, as their rock, as the one where they will rest their head and be his power, now they're no longer separated. They're in the house of God. This is what Jacob is doing. But he had to come out and follow. He couldn't stay underneath mommy and daddy's apron strings. God has no grandchildren. He had to come out by faith and follow. He was previously separated, but now he's going to learn to trust. And look at the promise. Then Jacob made a vow, here's your oath, your covenant, saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread, my daily bread, Jesus is the bread to eat and clothing to put on uh, his raiment, he clothes us, we want to be further clothed so we groan in the body, so that I come back to my father's house in peace, 
Then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone, this rock, which I have set up as a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. And really the word if God will be is since God will be. Can be it can be translated since God will be and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on. Listen, I previously thought, and I have to do some more studying, but I thought that this place Bethel becomes Bethlehem. I know that it becomes a house of pagan rule for the northern kingdoms. It's where one of the golden calves is at. And then I started studying it out, and it's, it's, it's 50, 60 miles away from the actual Bethlehem. This is Bethel, and you can actually get tricked and think you're separated because of Luz and come to Bethel, a false golden calf, and not be in Bethlehem, the house of bread. So you want to be in the house of bread. You don't want to be playing religion. That's what Bethlehem means, the house of bread where Jesus was really born, and then you eat from that bread, that word of life. So don't think that you're no longer separated and you can be in the wrong Bethel. I just seen that there was two of them. So that, that corrects all my past teachings where I thought they were the same and later became Bethlehem. There are two different cities. You can be in the wrong one and still be separated from God and not brought back in if you're not following the right Jesus. So this is what he's talking about. And this is why I say that I think Nathaniel was probably meditating on this. I don't know what he was doing, but he clearly heard the voice of God, seen the sovereignty of God, and called him the Son of God and the King of Israel. He believed in him because he spoke into his heart something that only he knew. Nobody else knew that he was under that tree, what he was saying, what he was doing. So he became a witness and declared him to be the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Israel. And he's going to see greater things if he keeps following. What about you? Have you become a witness? Have you come to see that Jesus is Lord? Have you come to taste and see that he's good? Or are you here because somebody told you this is a good spiritual practice, that you can have fun and feel good about yourself? Or do you realize that you're entering into a covenant, a marriage covenant, and if you will follow, if you will taste and see, Jesus will lead you to a wedding. It'll be your wedding. It'll be your great day where you hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest of the Lord, to the joy of the Lord. What an amazing thing. We get to be the bride. It gets to be all about us on our day. And then as soon as you get the reward, you throw them back down at his feet and say, holy, holy, holy. Because we're not worthy. We know it's him. This is the place we should be now. One day, every knee will bow. Make that today. Bow today. Surrender today. Give up today. Put your head on this rock today. The scriptures testify, if you'll fall on this rock, you'll be saved. But if the rock falls on you, you'll be crushed. See, that's what's going to happen to that fourth kingdom. The rock is going to fall on those clay feet and crush it, destroy it. Because it's the government of the devil and the Antichrist and the false prophet, the unholy trinity. It's going to be destroyed, but we're there. 
that's not fatalist. That's, that, that's the things falling together that we can understand that our salvation is nearer today than it's ever been. And we can keep looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We can keep considering him. Are you trusting him? Are you following him? Have you come yet? If you've come, you should follow. He knows what's going on, and he is the one that can lead you out of this world. He's the ladder. He's the gate. He's the way to heaven and eternal life with God. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, help us to surrender today. Help us to squirm and say how dreadful, but tomorrow I'll say how awesome is this place. It's the house of God. Thank you for such a great inheritance. Thank you for your son, Jesus. We give you praise in Jesus' name for his glory and honor. Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Desire.